but it is good to be back in the Lord's house to worship him corporately. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are thankful that we are able to gather here in this place today to worship you corporately. We thank you, Father, that you have sent your spirit to teach us the truth that we need, and we pray, Father, that he would guide us as we continue to look at your word. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, knowing that he has covered all of our sins, knowing that he has given us a new heart that desires to know you, to grow in our faith, to study your word, to be able to apply your word to our life, and we pray that that would be accomplished today. We pray, Father, that you would not only save sinners but sanctify saints, as only you can do by your Spirit. We pray for our sister churches as the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world today, that many would be brought into the kingdom of God. We pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us today. You know their reasons and their needs. We pray that you would continue to watch over all of our members during this time of this virus, and, Father, that you would protect them from it. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who have sickness, that you would heal their body so that they might give you praise and honor for your goodness in their lives. We pray, Father, that as we continue to study this passage and and what Jesus has told us here in Mark chapter 13, that we would have understanding of this truth. And Father, that we would be ready, that we would be faithful in doing that which he has called us to do ready at all times for his second coming. Teach us this day, Father, and bring honor and glory to your name in all that is said and done. And we pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we will look at the closing verses of this chapter this morning, verses 32 through 37. Mark 13, beginning with verse 32. But of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work and demanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now for the past six sermons, I've talked about the predictions that Jesus made to his disciples here in Mark chapter 13 about the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem and of the Jews. Those are stated in verses 5 through 27, and they refer to those events. In those verses, it is not referring to the bodily second coming of Jesus Christ, even though there are those who believe that it is. I hope I have convinced you, as we have looked at this in those six sermons, that it is not speaking of his bodily return in those verses, but of those events that I just mentioned. Now, Jesus does talk about the second coming in the passage that we're looking at this morning. 
But as I've stated time and time and time again, the most obvious reading of chapter 13, especially verse 30, when it says, This generation will by no means pass away till all of these things take place, convinces me that Jesus is talking about the events of the destruction of the temple, of the destruction of Jerusalem, and of the Jews. We must remember Jesus answering during a question. A question that the disciples had asked there in verse 4 that we looked at. When will these things be? And will be the sign all these things will be fulfilled? So what does Jesus do? Jesus answers the question. Answers the question that they have asked. They want an answer about what's going to take place as far as what is referring to as far as the events in their generations. So he answers that question. What does he do? He doesn't answer. He gives them signs. He gives them warnings. He gives them things to look for. And he says, when these begin to happen, know that end is near. Know the end of the temple is near. Know that the end of Jerusalem is near. Know that the end of the Jews is near. He desires for these disciples to be prepared for that event. So that they would do what? So that they would leave Jerusalem. Because if they stay in Jerusalem, what's going to happen to them? Well, they're going to be killed like the majority of the Jews were killed that remained there in Jerusalem. And Rome surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it, it as well as the, the temple. So Jesus wants them to be prepared. Not only them, the disciples, he wants them to prepare other Christians. The thousands of believers that come to Christ during the next 40 years of this time. And, and we're told that not one single Christian died as, as a result of the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Why? Why? Because they heeded the words of Jesus. They heeded the, the words of the apostles as, as they went out and preached these, these things to the other, other Christians. They had left Jerusalem. They had, they had gone the mountains to where, to where they were safe. And therefore, no one, no Christian, no true believer was killed during that time. Now we must realize that when the disciples heard that the temple, that Jerusalem, that the Jews were going to be, to be destroyed, they in their mind thought that it was, it was what? That was it. That's the end of the world. The world. Because they could, could not fathom a life without the, the temple. They could, could not fathom a uh, country without the Jews, that there would, would no longer be a nation of the Jews. They could not fathom that there would no longer be a, a Jerusalem. Their end in our life was wrapped up in what they've been taught, taught all of life about the temple. How holy it was. That it was where they met God. That, that's where God was. That's where they went to meet with the priests to have their sins for them as a result of on their sacrifices. Now, church is very, very important to us. Plus, we've learned that over the past couple of months, as far as not being, being able to corporately worship together, we've missed it. But yet, that cannot begin to compare with the mindset of these apostles, with the mindset of the Jews, with the mindset of the temple. For them, the temple meant everything, religiously speaking. 
They could not fathom in their life without a people. They just could not comprehend that. So therefore, when Jesus speaks of the temple being destroyed, automatically in their mind, they thought that will be the end of the world. That will be when Jesus returns. Now we saw last week that Jesus seeks to teach them what is really utmost important. It's, it's not the temple. It wasn't the nation. It wasn't Jerusalem. That was, was not the most important point. He showed them that religiously speaking, most important thing is His Word will by no, no means pass away. That the temple will pass away. That the Jews will pa- pass away. Jerusalem will pa- pass away. But His Word will not pa- pass away. God's truth remains forever. And as long as they have it, they have what is important in their life. And of course, Paul, Paul teaches later to them that their body is a temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in their body. The Spirit of God no, no longer would dwell in a temple. No longer would, would dwell in what David called, called house of, of God. But, but would dwell in a person that God's sanctuary is not, not a building. Even though we call this a sanctuary, it's not really a true a sanctuary. The sanctuary is your life. That is where God lives in His, His people. And so therefore, for Jesus is, is seeking to call the disciples to understand these truths. Now again, it's hard for us to grasp their mindset. How attached were to the temple. How attached the Jewish mindset was as a result of the teaching for thousands of years. So therefore, for them, Jesus was talking about the end of the world. And Jesus makes a transition here in verses 32 through 37. And Jesus, Jesus is no longer talking about the destruction of the, the temple in Jerusalem, but now he begins to talk about his, his second coming, his final return of judgment. Since this was on their mind, he goes ahead and addresses it so that he makes sure that they understand that he's talking about, about two distinct events. One, one is what was described as far as the destruction. The other is the second coming of Christ. So we see that Jesus addresses His second coming and teaches Christians to be aware of of their obligation, what they they should do after all of these these events have taken place, after the destruction of the temple. And they are to be doing this until he, He comes in. Now first of all, I want you to see that no one knows when the second coming of Jesus Christ will take place. Notice what he, what he says there in verse 32. But of that day and hour, no knows. Neither the angel in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. Now notice, Jesus introduces his second coming by making this statement that no one knows the day. Or the the hour. No one knows. The word that is very, very important in, in this verse. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? That is very important. 
Because that, that reveals that he's speaking about another day. He's not, not speaking about this, this generation, which he's already, already referred to in verse 30. But he says there, there, that. And it's different. Are you, are you following me? I don't want to lose, lose you on that. Because it's very important. Don't, don't forget that this that day and how important it is. He's not talking about this generation anymore. The generation of the disciples, of the apostles. But now he's talking about that, that day. The phrase that day is often used in a technical way in the New Testament. Speak of Jesus' second coming. Let me show you some verses that refer to, to that, that day that refer to the second coming. Coming day. Matthew 7, verse 22. As many will say to me in what? That, that day. Lord, have we not prophesied in your, in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now what day is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about judgment, but day. After his return, at his second coming, I mean, the first thing that t- takes place is what? Judgment. And he's telling them in that day, in judgment day, this is what's going to happen. Notice what said in Luke 10, 12 about those who reject the gospel. He says, but I say to you that that will be more tolerable in that day. Again, what what is he speaking of? Judgment day. That day for Sodom than for that city. So Jesus again refers to to day as judgment day. Paul says in in 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from from the present Lord and and the glory of His his power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among those who believe. So, so and Paul refers to it. And he says, this is going to happen. They, they will be judged. They will be punished. When? When he, he comes in that day. Paul goes on and he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. For this one I also saw. Suffered these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know I have believed it and persuaded that he is able to keep that, that which I have admitted to, to him until that day. What is he talking about? Again, the second coming when Christ returns. One passage, 2 Timothy 4 8. Finally, there is up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, judge, will give to me on that day. And not, not to me also, but also all who, who have loved His appearance. I hope I convinced you and you and you those verses I could use the others, but I think that's enough. That, that this phrase, that day, day, often refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Jesus now points forward to his second coming using this phrase, that day. And he says that no one knows day or the hour, or even the angels in heaven or him himself. Now the disciples are to prepare 
For they also, not only are they to prepare for the judgment that's going to take place in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, they're to prepare for that, they're going to receive a lot of signs and know when that's going to happen. There's another day that they must prepare for also. That's referring to all Christians throughout history until the second coming. And that day is the second coming. So Jesus had told them to get out of the Jerusalem when they saw, saw signs. And one of, one of the signs was what? Abomination of desolation. Those things were going to take place in the generation, in their lifetime. There would be signs that revealed its nearness so that they would be able to, to lead Jerusalem and they would be safe in the mountains. And remember he used the parable about the fig, fig tree. He showed them the fig tree and talked about you know the season. When it's time, time for fig because you will be, be able to look at the fig, fig tree, be able to look at the leaves and you know that it is, it is time. He's saying you will, you will know when it is time for the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem and the, the Jews. Those were those warning signs. And all of those things happened and were prepared there during those 40 years and they, they were ready to listen to word Jesus, all that Jesus had taught them, as well as, well as apostles taught the other, the other Christians, all the Christians were ready. But now, now that they which Jesus is explaining in beginning here in, in verse 32 is, is clear different. For no one knows that day or hour. Are you following me? They all were to know that day and hour of the destruction of Jerusalem. But no one knows the day of the hour of second coming of Christ. In other words, there's, there's not going to be any warning signs. He, he doesn't mean any warning signs whatsoever. As he had mentioned warning signs that was giving them for the destruction of all these other things. So therefore, he, he's saying it's going to be different. Now there are some say, yes, Jesus said we are not going to know the day or the hour, but, but that doesn't mean we, we know the week or the month, month or the year. Well, well let me say something. That, that's ridiculous. But there are those that say that. They say, well, well, Jesus said we won't know, know the day, won't know the hour, but we may know the hour, uh, year, we may know, know the month, we, we may know. No, no, Jesus is saying no one knows when it's going to happen. There will be no signs given as, as given earlier for the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So this second event would not be known by anyone. There would be no signs given. So, so Jesus is telling them that, that that day is unknown and unrevealed because it is unrevealed, is unknowable. Do you follow me? If it's unrevealed, it's unknowable. And we need to keep that in mind. He is not even the angels or the Son of God. Now let me... And it's a completely different sermon that we, that we could relude. Jesus, his, his humanity, his humanity, he didn't know. Jesus was, was God, so therefore God knows everything. But in his humanity, he did not know. Only the Father. Now the angels do know. And Jesus does not know. And then the disciples did not, not know. How in the world is it that many think they Right? How in the world are, are there so many people 
that make all of these predictions. I remember all back in my first sermon, I read off numerous predictions. And I could have spent the entire sermon reading off numerous predictions that people have made about the second coming of Christ. But here in the Scripture, Jesus clearly tells that no one knows. Therefore, to make such a claim is to go against what Jesus said. Do you see that? To say that you know you're going against the very words of Jesus. So when you someone come up and say, well, you know, it's getting close. Well, Jesus said one knows. So how can you tell me it's getting close? You're going against the words of Jesus. Jesus says it's, it's unknown, unrevealed. Clearly says, for you do not know when when the time is. So therefore, let us be careful never to make such a claim that we know. But what what is so difficult to understand this phrase? No one knows. I mean, mean, the younger out in here and here that understand English... I think they understand that, right? No one knows. I mean, is anyone left out of that group, children? If I say no one knows, is anyone left out of that group? No. No one's left out of that group. The only one that the Scripture tells that knows is the Father. So don't feel bad if you don't know. Because one else knows. Now Calvin... Calvin Always put things very plainly. And listen, he says, it would be proof of excessive pride and wicked covetousness, desire that we who creep on the earth should know more than what is what is needed for the angels in heaven to know. Did you hear what he what he said? In other words, those who boast that they they know are. Being prideful. But not only does he, he say excessive prideful, he says wicked covetousness. In other words, he's saying to think that you know more than angels, to think that you know more than the Son of Man, is prideful and covetousness. I encourage you to uh, learn a phrase and you use it in some of these people that, that think they know. Have, have you read what Calvin said? They'll be impressed by that. I not even know who Calvin is. But anyway, that's a good statement. To think that you know more than the angels, to think you know more, more than Jesus Christ. Now second, Jesus states that they are to take heed, watch, and pray there in verse 33. Even though they, they do not know when that day will take pl- place, to take heed, to watch, to pray. And it's re-emphasized again in verse 37 when he says, And what I say to you, I say to watch. Now it's easy for us to fall into the mindset, or the same set, I should say, as some of the Christians in Paul. I mean, some of the Christians in Paul's day thought that Jesus was about ready to return. He was going to come in their day. So what did they do? They were foolish enough to quit work. They said, why work? 
Why farm? Why do all that? Jesus is coming, so we're just going to go here. We're going to look up in the sky. We're going to wait for Him to return. But we, we can be just as foolish as those Christians in Paul's day. They, of course, Paul rebuked them, and he told them, if you're not working, in God, God, in other words, you're not going to bomb off of us. So there, therefore, make sure that you listen to my words and go about your duty. Keep watch. Be faithful. Jesus, Jesus specifies the watch, watch of night there in verse 35. There were four watches of night. Jews understood them. The disciples would understand, stood exactly what Jesus was talking about here. So Jesus is saying, be watchful. During these hours, the most unlikely hours towards to where you'll be watching. Why? You're in your home and you're, you're resting. A lot of those hours you're asleep. You're not very watchful during those hours you are asleep. But, it, but he's saying, be prepared even in your home as you're resting. In other words, life, life, life that is prepared for the second coming of Christ always. Don't let it surprise you when it takes place. Don't be caught off guard. guard. Don't be unfaithful. Or be about your duty that Jesus has given you, that God has given you to do. Even though we may be ignorant of the time, even though that time is known, unrevealed, when He will return, so, so ignorance doesn't give us an excuse to be inactive, to, to be unprepared. Jesus is stressing this point in, in these verses, to be, be watchful, take heed, to be praying. Jesus give, gives us some parables that pertain to the second coming, His return, that helps us to understand what He's talking about. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1, 1 13 gives us the parable of wise and, and the foolish virgins. Uh, it's an example of a mid-eastern wedding. The Jews understood exactly what Jesus was speaking of. We don't understand the weddings. They were, they were a week long. You, know, you never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. Uh, uh, it's more traditional, as you could say, say, in one sense, more like an African wedding. Uh, we went to an, to an African wedding year, years ago. We were in Africa, and you sit, sit there and you wait for the bride to show up. Not the bridegroom, but the bride, the bride show up. And it might be hours. Matter of fact, I, I know it was over an hour before she, she finally showed up. Uh, I know Conrad in Bayway was trying to change that. He's telling him, look, if you're not on time, I'm, I'm not on your wedding. That'll get, get you there. Anyway... Uh, Chase the rabbit a little bit, bit there. Uh, Matthew 25, he's speaking about this uh, wedding, and he's, he's talking about wise and the foolish virgins. Now, now since wedding was a week, week long, usually, and not know, knowing when the bridegroom was going to show up, you were always prepared. But we see in this, this particular wedding, the attendants, the ones with the lamps, only half of them were prepared, and the other, and the other were not prepared. And as a result of half not being prepared, when, when the announcer came and said the bridegroom is about to, about to come, they were to light, light lamps. And then that other half said, we don't, we don't have enough oil. Will you share some oil with us? I said, oh, we can't share it with you. If we, we share it with you, we won't have, won't have enough. So they, they went out to buy more oil because unprepared. And they were out buying more oil. What happened? The bridegroom came. And they got able to enter in, into the wedding. They, they were not there. They were not prepared. Now, Jesus' teaching parable is, is teaching about His delay in returning. 
And his delay in returning does what? It distinguishes between the wise and the foolish. Many who profess Christ have a short-lived zeal which is adequate. The wise virgins could not share their oil. Now the oil represents the faith. Uh, being asked by the Holy Spirit. And you can't give your faith away. One can borrow faith from another person. It's, it's your faith. It's, it's the gift that God has given you. It's not others' faith. It's, it's you possess it yourself. So again, this teaching is being, being uh, tell, tell you to be watchful, to be ready, to know that you have this faith prepared for His coming whenever it might be. We never know when it might, might be. Now, ignorant of the time should be an incentive to take heed. Notice what he says there in verse 34. <clears throat> like a man going, going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and each work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So he, he gives a short parable here and he elaborates more on this parable in one other gospels. He's saying what? He's saying that first of all, it, it's going to be a long time. He's telling the disciples, it's going to be a long time before I return. First of all, because he says what? Like a man going to a far, far country, a long ways off. And of course, this is describing what Jesus will do. He's leaving his disciples, and what does he do? He leaves his disciples in charge of the house, and he gave them authority. He gave his servant authority. Did we not see that Jesus did that? So our ignorance of not knowing the time should be an incentive to do what Jesus has commanded to do. I'm not saying that we're to be like those who are constantly telling us that the second is about to happen at any moment. No, because we don't know. They do not know. We do not know. No one knows. But we must not go to the other, other extreme saying it won't happen in my lifetime. So therefore, I don't have to be, I don't have to be faithful. I can just uh, lay back and take it easy during my life. I mean, in the 70s, we were bombarded with Lindsay's book and how there are even preachers who were preaching prophecy conferences. Uh, some of them would call it 10 minutes till midnight. Now, according to midnight was when Christ was supposed to return. So therefore, you had only 10 minutes to pre- prepare. Uh, they would put a big, a big clock on the wall and the clock would be t- ticking, seeking to scare the lost to heaven, seeking to get them to, to believe as the preacher preached about the end of time as it was about to, to come. And Jesus would, just would come and the, rap, the rapture would take place and you would be left behind and you, and then you better get with God. That was a strong emphasis when I was growing up in the 70s. Man, that's been 50 years ago, Fondo. 50 years ago. Time, time flown. But I can remember just like yesterday. I know a lot, a lot of you came. You weren't even born at that time. But that's what was being taught 50 years ago. And we were told that it was all over. I mean, it's just about to end. You better get ready. It's been 50 years. 
50 years since all that happened. Now most of those who made profession of faith during those sermons and those strong emphasis on the second coming of Christ are no followers of Christ. I mean, they were like those foolish virgins. They weren't prepared. Now, now notice what Jesus says there, there in verse 34. He, he put his servants in charge. Well, what did he put in charge of? All that he left behind. I mean, this is a, this is a picture of Jesus leaving his disciples and give, giving them charge to fulfill the Great Commission. Remember? When he was leaving, he, he gave them, there, there in Matthew 27, the Great Commission, and then he left. So he left them in charge. He said, all authority is given to me. And then he did what? He gave them authority to go into all nations and to make disciples and baptize them. So he transferred that responsibility to them to continue that which he had started, to be faithful in doing that. Now, we also see that Jesus makes reference to this in another parable in Luke chapter 19. We're not going to take time to read these due to time. Uh, verses 11 through 27, you can go back and read them, read them later. And here in verses 11 through 27, Jesus speaks about, uh, again, the master leaving and giving his servants tents, and he tells them that they will be accountable and they, of course, I, I want one thing, the important thing I want you to see in here, verse 11. But now they heard the, heard the things. He spoke another parable because, now notice what is, what is there. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought, notice, notice that, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Did you catch that? that. So their mindset again is thinking that Christ's appearance is going to be, be immediate. That his king is going to be immediate. immediate. Everything's going to end immediately. So, so he gives them this parable to, to show them that it's not going to be immediate. That, that it's going to be a long ways off. And he says there, a certain nobleman went to a, a far country. And, and that day to go to a, to a far country took a long, long time. It's not like today. Flying to Africa, it takes about 17 hours. You can do that, do that, fly. Well, if you're going to a far country at that time, it would take seven, 17 months. So, uh, probably learn 17 months. I don't know. You you'd have to pack a boat across the ocean to get over it. It'd take a long time. I don't know. Somebody, somebody figured that up and let me know. But, it, but any of the emphasis is what? It's a long time. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is using the parable to, to teach them just the opposite. Their mindset is immediately... And he, he said, no, it's not going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a while off. No one knows time or the day. So, so the master went to a far country. In other words, it was a long time before he returned, but he would, would return. Now he would not return until what? What must happen before he returns? Not, not until, notice what it says there in verse 12. He receives for, for himself a kingdom. Now you might say, so aren't we to, to believe that Jesus will, will return soon? No, I am saying that we are to live as if He's coming, coming today, but we also must return, realize that He, he has a task to fulfill before He returns. Now, now what task that He's going, going to fulfill before He returns? The salvation of His people. 
So until salvation of his people takes place, until all the elect are brought into the kingdom, he will not return. Now, when is that going to happen? We don't know. Only God knows. But when that last election is saved, then Jesus Christ will return. So we're to use all that God has blessed us with for His glory during this time because we have to give an account, just as it points out here in this particular parable. They had to give an account. The two did well. The third one did not. The third one did what? He hid his talent. And what happened to him? We see that at the end of the parable, judgment is brought upon him because he did nothing with that which God had given him. In other words, he revealed that he was not a true believer. He was an unwise virgin. Now, we have to understand that we're to use all that God has blessed us with in his kingdom work. We must be like those in Waco. Those in Waco were wacko. They were wacko in following David Koresh. David Koresh was teaching them the kingdom of Christ is a return. Let's huddle up together. Let's buy this land. Let's move out on, on this farm. Build this place. Let's prepare for the return of Christ. They were wacko in believing him. But they were just like, just like those in Thessalonica who were sitting around waiting for Jesus to return. Doing nothing productively. They were being stagnant. We are not, not to be stagnant. We are to continue the work that Christ has given us to accomplish. Which brings me to my third point. Though we ignorant of his timing, of his return, we are not ignorant of the certainty of event. And this is why Jesus says there in verse 37, What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Look what R.C. Sproul says. Our Savior's continued words of the, the Mount of All discourse reveals that the purpose of the sermon was not to encourage the disciples to try to set a date, but rather to be ready for the event to come. Though it lived some 2,000 years after Jesus' prediction came to pass, these words of warning apply to us as well. For if the judgment of Jerusalem is a type of Christ's final return to judge all creation, then it is even more important that we be watchful. We do not want to be caught unaware, unprepared for the Lord's final advent. Jesus Christ will return. Now you may meet Him before, before He returns. In other words, you may die before He returns. And you want to give an account. But Jesus tells us here to stay away. This is a call to action. Look at all the exhortations that we see in this passage. He says, heed, watch, pray, watch, 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 stay awake. I mean, don't have to be very clever to realize that Jesus is urging us to action, to watch, not to fall asleep spiritually. Grace Baptist churches to be watching. Grace Baptist churches to be doing kingdom work. We active in the work in the commission He has given us, knowing that one one day Christ will return, and everyone must stand before Him and give an account. And those who stay awake are those who are truly converted. 
That is one thing that we learn from the parable of the ten virgins. Notice five were unprepared. And what, what was told those five that, five that were prepared? I do, do not know you. They weren't, weren't cardinal Christians, as some would say. Well, they were really Christians, which is, there's, there's no thing. They were unprepared, and it just says, do not know you. Now, those that sit here this morning who are still outside Christ. In, in other words, I'm telling you, you, you are un, unpaired. You're unpaired to meet Christ. The only one who is the mediator between man and God. And if He is not, not personal mediator, you are outside the kingdom of, of God. You are unprepared. And of course, the devil will confuse to, to tell you to wait. Wait till t- tomorrow. Don't come to Christ today. Don't trust in Christ today. Wait. You've got plenty of time. Christ is not going to come, come back today or next week, next year. You've got plenty of time. Don't fool yourself. Enjoy life. That, that's what the devil will tell you. And there's those who believe that and lead, and lead the place of worship time and time and time. Again. And then they go down the street and they crawl away and a car hits them and instantly they're gone. They thought, thought they had plenty of time. So they get the coronavirus even though they may even be young. And some of you have heard and seen, seen people that even are young that have got it and they have, they have died. No one, no one knows the day when they will meet Jesus Christ, whether it's when, it's when they return to when they, when they go from this life into the next life. Now there's, there's another one in the parable of the talents. Wasting away your life, not using that which God has given you for His glory. If there is no motivation in your life to please God, then you are one one who has bared your talent. And you must give an account. And Jesus will say to you, just He said to to them, this one, this enemy, see He calls him an enemy, who didn't want me me to run over him and slay them before me. me. Judgment. Judgment came upon that one that did nothing. He did nothing because he did not know the Lord. He did not love the Lord. Listen again to what R.C. Sproul says. How do we prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ? The answer is relatively simple. We must make sure that we belong to Jesus and His redeemed people as His disciples. If you are not a Christian, you will not be ready for the Lord's return. Repent and trust Jesus alone this day. If you are a believer, seek to be faithful disciple that you might hear Jesus' words of condemnation, of condemnation when He comes again. In closing, let me emphasize the truthfulness the truthfulness of Jesus' words. He made many predictions throughout His ministry. He knew the future. All of them came true. He told Peter to go and find a coin in the mouth of the fish to pay the taxes. Peter, Peter went and found what? A coin in the mouth of the fish. He told the Roman son soldier to go home. Your servant has been healed. He went home and he found his servant healed. He, he told the disciples that Jesus, Lazarus was going to die, but, but he would remain dead. And likewise, Lazarus 
forth from the grave. He told them that Judas would betray him, and he, and he did so. He told Peter that he would deny him three times. And Peter said, strong, strong, never will I deny you. Peter denied him three t- times. He, he told them of his own death, burial, and resurrection. He told them of the Holy Spirit being poured out at, at Pentecost and about the gospel going into all the world. He told them about the destruction of the people. Tell me one thing that Jesus just told them that did not, did not come true. You can't think, think of that. Everything that Jesus prophesied, everything Jesus predicted came true. He never prophesied anything and got it wrong. Not a single time. What does this tell us about Jesus Christ? It tells us that He controlled the future of the world. That in a most holy, wise, and powerful way, the Lord is preserving and bringing all His creatures and all their actions. He is in charge of nation. Our Lord reigns. He upholds. He directs. He disposes all, all things, the living and the dead. He works all, all things after the counsel of His own will. He is the almighty and everywhere present God. And all those things mentioned in chapter 13 came about. None of them happened by faith, but all fulfilled the words of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Lord continued personally, actively to sustain and control and direct. The song so true. He got the whole world in His hand. He is a truthful God. He he is one who accomplishes the purpose that God has for the years. He is Lord. He is King of the universe. And there's a test case of the truthfulness of Jesus' knowledge of the truth. If what said came true, then I must embrace Him and live for Him according to His precepts if I, if I say I believe in, in Him. If I don't, then I don't believe in Him. Let me close with this story that happened in January 2005. Pastor Jack Arnold, he was, he was preaching at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Florida. He was an associate professor at RTS. He was getting near to the end of his message and he quoted his favorite verse. For me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What did, what did Wes say, he said? He, he asked the congregation, until, until my work on this earth is done, I am immortal. But when my work for Christ is done, and, and then Dr. Arnold clapped his hands together in exaltation and gest- gestured heaven saying, say, I'm out of here. I don't know about you, but when my work's done, I'm gone with this. I'm be, be with Jesus and, and will be gained. And when I go to heaven, and then, then at the very point, it was seven days and 15 years ago, that very moment in that morning service, Jack paused briefly, looked up. He swayed slightly to one side, grabbed the pulpit or falling to the floor, and he was gone. Dr. 
Arnold was dead. He left his wife Carol in fortune. He had testified church that one last time of his hope in heaven and Christ alone. Why did that hope grip Jack? It was not wishful thinking. It was because also the Lord Christ said to us about that your I go to prepare a place for you and will take you to myself. I am saying to you that Christ often spoke of the future as, as he does in this chapter. And this gives his true, true disciples no fear of death, but hope, hope, knowing that he will be with Christ when he leaves this body. That he will be with Christ if Christ returns in his lifetime. Do you have that, that hope? Let us pray.